0: A better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spear with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man to you, the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March 27, 2013. It is a Wednesday, and I have Angry American. Uh, also known as Chris, standing by for an interview on his new book, Going Home, a book that was described by one viewer is addictive. This is their quote, Imagine squatting behind a dumpster and trying to melt a page of this book in a spoon so you can get your fix. Yeah, it's that addictive. So it's an interesting book to discuss, an interesting angle to look at preparedness from. We'll have uh, Chris on in just a bit. Before we do, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Uh, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I've been reading Backwoods Home since I got out of the Army in 1993. I've been a subscriber uh, probably as in 94, 95 when I got on my feet enough to be able to afford to be a subscriber, and I've remained one ever since. Uh, and it's, it's been a pleasure over the years reading the works of people like Jackie, Jackie Clay, John Silvera, Dave Duffy, Masada Ayoub and, and many other great writers uh, on topics of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and libertarian principles that come from Backwoods Home. If you want to imagine what Backwoods Home magazine is, think of Mother Earth News without the New World Order politics in it, and, and think about it being a libertarian version. Um, and it's almost a disservice to say that, because I think it's a far more practical, down-to-earth, how-to magazine. That doesn't forget that part of being an American and part of being a homesteader is your right to defense of yourself and your property. Check them out today at com, Or remember, they do offer a discount for new subscribers that are members of our support brigade. So if you're going to subscribe, go to the Member Support Brigade first and check out the discount offer. Um, next up today, Western Botanicals. Um, you know, we're just about to put an order in with them tonight for uh, some of the anti-inflammatory uh, stuff that my wife uses for uh, the hip pain that she deals with, and all as we're getting older. Uh mainly made up of turmeric and ginger root and some other things. It works very, very well, and that's a product that we personally use. Um, I, uh, when I get kind of congested, I have a little bit of their, uh, peppermint essential oils. I'll take just a sniff of that. and It'll open the, uh, the nose holes real quick. I mean, I'm just telling you, we use products from Western Botanicals every day, right in our own home. It's the best stuff I've found. Some of the best pricing. I know it's all wild crafted or organically grown, and I know I can trust the people there. If I'm not sure what I need and I call them, they'll tell me. And they'll give me good advice. And if I ask them something and they're like, you know, you really should talk to a doctor about that, I know I really should talk to a doctor about that. Hasn't happened to me yet, but I know they'll do it because they've told me they will. They've always kept their word. They've been a great sponsor for a long time. And how about saving 25% on everything they sell? Well, here's how you do that. You call them up. You join their premium membership thing. You give them 50 bucks, and then you save 25% on everything you buy from them. Or you join the Member Support Brigade and they give you that for free. They're also a supporter of the MSB that way. You get their membership, which is a $50 value, for free. If you uh, are a member of our Support Brigade, details are in the benefits section of the MSB, which is a great segue into That's one great reason to join the Member Support Brigade right there. $50 a year, $0.20 an episode discount to over 40 vendors, and that one discount pays for your membership for the first year all by itself. So do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. It, it does offer a ton of value, and again, you do help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents per episode in Military Law Enforcement Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service. I will give you a discount to thank you for your service. When you join, email me before, not after you sign up. Uh, email me at, at com. Put service discount on the subject line. And I'll get back to you just as as possible with a discount code to thank you for your service. All I need is one or two sentences, who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did if your prior service. I do extend this to people like paramedics, emergency medical technicians, and other first responders as well, firefighters, that type of thing. All right, with that, I do have all of the uh, stuff wrapped up for the introduction segment today. And it's my good pleasure now to bring on Mr. Angry American himself. And no, I did not misspell angry. In the, uh, the title of today's episode, it is spelled A-N-G-E-R-Y. We'll, uh, allude to that a little bit. If you check the show notes out, I actually give you the, uh, urban dictionary version, uh, uh, urban dictionary definition of that play on the word angry or that intentional misspelling. And with that, the angry American himself, hey, Chris, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast.
1: Good to be here, Jack. I've uh, been a follower your show for a long time, man. I like uh, I like look forward to your show every day.
0: Hey, I'd like to start out with something a little bit, um, I guess, trivial, but kind of interesting, probably, to people. You know, your website's angryamerican.com, and you write under the pen name Angry American, and we're calling you Chris the Angry American today. Where did the whole terminology of Angry American come from? I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons all of us can find to be Angry Americans today, but what was yours?
1: Yeah, you could pretty much throw a dart and pick one these days. Um, like you said, it's, it's what's going on right now. You know, all you got to do is look around, um, anywhere from, from domestically here to Cyprus to what's going on all over the world. And there's plenty of reasons to be upset from the second amendment issues we're having right now, the state of our own economy. Um, you know, the, the new current terror watch list and everybody they want to put on the, put on that. It's just a sad state of affairs. So, um, angry is spelled a little different too. And you can see that if you look it up in the urban dictionary, you'll get the idea where I came up with the spelling from. Okay, cool. So you wrote this book. I mean, let's start out with what
0: every, uh, every author always wants to do. And that's, uh, tell us the name of your book and, uh, why'd you write it?
1: Well, my book's called going home. Um, and it didn't start out as a book. It started out on another forum simply as a story, you know, lots of folks like to write stories online, lots of people like to read them, and this simply started out one night at about 11.30, uh, I was reading some stories and thought, you know, hey, I'll throw my hat in the ring. It took on a life of its own, and I was pretty much browbeat by the readers into publishing it into a book, so after over a million views online, you know, we, we didn't have a book, so that's awesome, and it seems like there's a
0: common root with that. Um, Glenn Tate's books, uh, 299 day series, uh, David Crawford's Lights Out, it's, it, it seems like the internet is kind of empowering people to become authors that never would have broken through the gatekeepers. And I think it's also inspiring people to become authors or giving people an impetus to become authors that would have never even thought. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you didn't grow up in school and when you were like in fifth grade and say, somebody said to you, hey, Chris, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to go write Patriot books, right? I'm sure, like, like, I mean, it doesn't sound like your goal was to be an author in the beginning.
1: No, it just like last week, you mentioned you know how David Crawford wrote his online and it was available for free for years. I mean, I read Lights Out as a PDF, you know? Um and my my stuff's kind of the same way, it's out there for free. you know you can you can read it on the internet. Um, it was a year or so in the making, and it's still out there for free, even my website. you can read it there and and you're right you know traditional publishing is 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 a changing world, and I Lord, have I learned a lot about that, and I know Glenn Tate has too um, and And like you said, pretty much anybody can do it these days. There's a good side and a bad side to that. And I'm catching catching a little flack from both directions right now, but it, I'm learning. I'm learning. So I think it's good because anybody
0: can do it, but that doesn't mean anybody can be successful doing it. And and you're starting to get some traction with this. I know I listened to um, uh, David Kobler's review Southern Prepper One on uh, YouTube, yeah. and he basically said he was so pulled into the book that he wasn't getting anything done that day. So I think that has a lot to do with setting a book apart. Because, like, anybody can go write a book that's just like the last book. So what is it that sets your book apart from others in the genre?
1: Well, mine, the reason I started to write it, like I said, 1130 at night one night, I was reading somebody else's stuff, and there's lots of good stories out there, even Lights Out, great story, One Second After, great stories. But on, a, on like, a personal level, I personally didn't connect with them. And so I started thinking, you know, what would I do differently? And so when I did this, I took it as kind of a generic every guy. He's not a special forces superhero. You know, he's not a ninja. He's not a mall ninja. He's none of that stuff. He's just one of us. He's a regular guy, but he's a prepper. You know, he's got a family. He looks ahead. And, and he made some preps. You know, one of his preps is to keep his bag in his car. I don't call it a bug out bag because that's not what it is in the book. It's, he's got a little bit more to it than that because this guy travels a lot and he's 250 miles from home when, when things go south, and his first thought is, you know, I need to get home, and the only way I'm gonna do it is to walk. And we could all find ourselves in that thought process. The first thing you're gonna think of is your family, you know, the very first thing. You know, your wife and kids, your, your husband, you know, whatever, and how can you get back to them? Well,
0: happens. I think it's a very realistic scenario that, I mean, you cho- chose an EMP style event, and we'll get to that in a bit, but. Anything that can go wrong at a huge societal, let's say national, global level, that happens to go wrong when you're not home can put you in this scenario. And many of us travel often. Many of us travel for vacation. And, and it's not like, well, the world will just take a break from its ongoing uh, problems and, and crises because you happen to be in the Caribbean.
1: Exactly. You know, and where you're at and how you're traveling will dictate what you can do. But, you know, everybody, in my opinion, needs to take some level of responsibility for themselves when, when they're out there. Um, you know, some of the reviewers knock the the pack the guy carries and some of the gear. Um, but I can tell them that uh, the contents of that bag came straight out of the one that's sitting in the back of my car right now in the parking garage of the hotel I'm in. I travel for a living. That's how come I can relate to that part of the character. So, Having some things with you that will help you sustain yourself and get yourself back to where you need to be is a priority and should be for most folks. Even if you commute to downtown, you should have something that if my car don't start, I can't get home, something happens, you know, a moon rocket lands on the earth and I can't drive my car. (laughs) What am I going to do to get home? You know, what can I do for myself? Yeah,
0: that's that's interesting, but it, it makes me think of an interesting question for you here. And that is, I'm sure that when you started putting together the book, you started to look at your kit and say, "Well, I have this, I have that. Let's write that into the story somehow." As you wrote the story and it evolved, and you ran into different scenarios, were there certain things that maybe weren't in your kit that are in your kit today because of the mental exercise of going through the story?
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs>
0: Can you give us some oh, yeah. examples? Yeah. That'd be, that's kind of cool.
1: Um, some some silly little things. Uh, some stuff I added to my first aid kit would be one. Um, another was, was a, uh, one of the things that how I overlooked, I have no idea, but it was a folding saw. Something as simple as that, because I was trying to do something in the, in a scene in the book, and I'm like, well, he doesn't have a saw. And he didn't have a saw, because I didn't think of it, because I don't have a saw. And how I missed that in my stuff, I have no idea. Um, but something as simple as that, uh, you know, the, the products and the gear, we, we, we can all lay it out, look at it, we can think of a hundred uses for everything but you can't think of everything that you may encounter. So it's, it's always evolving and learning, you know, the more, you the more you mess with, the more you use it, the more you find out what you need. What are some of the things you think people can learn from your book? Well, the, the, the book's entertainment. Um, it's a good story, you know, wrapped up in, in some survival lessons in, in a way. Um, there's some there's some gear notes in there. Uh, a lot of people complain about the gear notes. Uh, a lot of people love the gear notes. You're not going to make everybody happy on that that end. But I wrote it for people that that were new to prepping, let's say. And so I threw some name brand stuff in there and told them about it and then explained you know the character using it a little bit to give people an idea. Um, so there's a lot to be gained from that, especially if someone's a novice to it, you know, or, or someone who's thinking about putting a bag together. Now I'm not saying that that bag is for everybody or that's the perfect piece of equipment, but it's just something for people to think about, um, and and to do the mental exercise of themselves of of what would I do, you know? Picture yourself in that situation right now today, wherever you're at. Your car doesn't work. There's no other way to get home from wherever you are right now. And and what are you going to do to get there? it's a It's a good mental exercise, and it'll really open your eyes when you stop and think about it for a minute um we We've all read the stories a lot of people you know sit around and war game this kind of thing, but it's rather enlightening when you kind of really put it to the mental test
0: absolutely what about the interaction with other people in the book there's some there's some cooperation and some adversarial things. Do you think maybe sometimes people gloss over one or the other?
1: yeah it's you know not everybody you run into in any situation is gonna be on one side of the corner or the other there's gonna be there's gonna be good people in, in bad situations that are gonna make good choices they're gonna make in the same situation they might make a bad choice um, there's people that are gonna help you if they can if there's characters in the book um there's a scene where where the character intervenes on an assault of, 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 a, of a woman and her kids and uh, her neighbors are an elderly couple living next door. They tried to help, but they were, they were no help. You know, the, the two guys that were there were able to, you know, fend off the old man rather easily. And that was kind of an example of, you know, you're, you know, where you're at, you know, your neighbors and your neighbors may want to come help you, but they may not be able to. Um, but somebody else, you, whoever in that position may be able to help. There's another character. It's uh his his name's Thad in the book. He's pretty popular, and you know people everybody says they think of Michael Clark Duncan when they when they picture this guy.
0: Explain to people who that is because some people all know.
1: I think the Green Mile. He was the actor with Tom Hanks in the Green Mile. He's he's recently passed away. Big big black fella. Um, and and that's what this character Thad's like. He's a big big black guy, and when people first see him, he's intimidating, and they think he may be, um a force to be reckoned with, but, you know, he turns out to be one of the best friends that these people make in the book. And he does a lot to help them. Um, And that character was kind of funny the the way it happened. As I was writing this online, I actually got a got a email from a guy that said he really enjoyed the book. He said there there's a scene early on where the, the main character has a, has a shootout with, with a couple of black guys. And he emailed me and said, you know, I'm, I'm black. He goes, And I agree with with what you're saying in the book. He goes, but, you know, if you could, put a black prepper in the book. And just like that caller you had the other day that was asking about the racial tensions of where to live and whatnot, you know, prepping, as you said, too, isn't isn't race related. It's not white, black, Asian, male or female. You know, it's the full spectrum. And that kind of made me start thinking about it uh, when he made that request. And that's how that character evolved, because. To show people that it's it's not always going to be who you expect. I think
0: that's really a critical thing that we start thinking about as a community. Um, since those comments you're referring to, I've actually been surprised um, because I, I've always felt like why aren't there more? Why isn't there more ethnic diversity in the prepper movement? And it's not like not the way a bureaucrat thinks about like that. Like what kind of affirmative action program can we place to you know? I just mean like you know, why? Because this is such a universal human thing. Then we have this thing, and then I start looking in the comments, and I start seeing these people that have been commenting on the blog for years, and they you know they leave off with as a black person, and I'm like, "Wow, I had no idea that person, so I think it's good that we have those discussions because I think there's a lot of belief in 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 society because of the marketing by the establishment that all survivalists are like racist nutjob rednecks. And it, it, I don't think anything could be further from the truth. There's some racist, nutjob rednecks that call themselves survivalists, but I think the average prepper, the average modern survivalist, is far more concerned with the human condition than they are with the color of the human.
1: Exactly. You know, the internet is anonymity to the max. You know, people only know about you, what you're going to tell them. So when we're looking at a screen, we're all black and white because that's pretty much the background, you know. <laughs> but we never really know who's there and And I wanted to put a little bit of a face to that um you know we're all guilty of prejudice to a degree none of us none of us ha uh, sorry about that none okay. of us are um can say that we have zero prejudice in us. anyone who does is is fooling themselves um but it can also be a good thing at times and 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 that's why I put the character in there like I said, if, if this guy hadn't have hadn't have emailed me, it would have never crossed my mind. The character wouldn't have showed up, and the book certainly wouldn't have been. I think what it is as a result of having that character because it made me think differently um, from a different perspective, you know, and I show it in there where, where people see the guy and they're intimidated, you know, um, at first. But like I said, it ends up he's, he's a good guy. He, he helps people out. So. Sure. And what I like
0: is you didn't put him in as like, and I know some people will take offense to the way I'm going to use this term, but it's it's in a lot of media, a token right it wasn't like he's like we don't include one guy that's black or one guy that's asian or something like that it was a, a mainstream character in the entire scenario
1: oh no he's when you look at the comments on amazon and the comments on some of the my forum and, and a couple of other places where people are looking um he's more popular in a lot of cases than the main character <laughs> um a lot of people have have some issues with the main character some of the decisions he he makes and and i tell people you know he's he's a regular guy he's yeah not, Hero, He doesn't always make the right decision, and sometimes he really, really makes the wrong one,
0: you know? Well, it's not believable when somebody does everything right, right, or not to take a knock at another actor, but it's also not reasonable to believe that when a guy breaks his leg and has the bone stick through his skin, he says, Hoover, damn. Yeah. I mean, you, I'm serious. I mean, those of you that know the book I'm talking about, it's just like, yeah. Really? Really? Even if he said nothing or said he screamed. And there's, there's this kind of homogenation in a lot of, of, of fan fiction where everything's the same and every, every hero does everything right. And, I mean, it, successful literature is never made up of people who do everything right. They're always flawed human beings because flawed is part of the human condition.
1: Absolutely. And, and what, you, what you're talking about, that scene where he says, Hoover Damn. this is something I'll let everybody know. This book isn't like, I'm going to use Patriots as an example, Okay, that was pristine and no one ever said a dirty word. Yeah, Um, This book is how a lot of people talk. And and some folks may say, I don't know anybody that cusses that much. Well, you were never in the military, I guess. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. And you can't make, uh, and and there are rare exceptions. I'm going to bring up one of our community members, Top Cone. I mean, this guy's a first sergeant and doesn't swear. And it does happen. But it's not. It's not the mainstream component of especially the Army and the Marine Corps, right. um, and I imagine not the others. I just have more experience in the Army and then and, and dealing with Marines that, I mean, especially the day day one of basic training, uh, you get a whole new vocabulary. And if you want to be true to reality, at least some of it has to be in there.
1: Absolutely. You know, and there's, and there's even racial overtones in this book. There are showing that, you know, that racist redneck we were talking about earlier. They're in the book. They're there because they exist. They, yeah, it's just a fact of life. Um, and they're going to use the vocabulary that they use. I'm not one. I don't, I'm not politically correct in any fashion. Anybody who knows me will tell you I'm not politically correct. And, and I'm not going to put the N word in quotes that exact phrase in a book. You know, I put in what the people say. Now it's it's not overly used. It only shows up once or twice, but it does show up. Uh, but that
0: person would use that word, and it's and then what I don't like sometimes is an author does something like that, and then people say, "Well, look at this guy. He did it." Well, you know, if I wrote a, a story about what happened in World War II in the concentration camps, that doesn't mean I want people to be put in concentration camps. It means I'm telling you what happened. Exactly. And I'm going to use the language of the people that committed the atrocity and try to convey to you what they were thinking when they did it, so that you'll understand it.
1: Exactly. And it's just again that that different perspective, you know, from from each person's perspective, from whatever shoes they're wearing, wherever they're standing. You got to kind of have to tell their story a little bit and how they see things through their eyes. Uh, and that's a little bit of what I tried to put in here. And it, it's funny you mentioned Top Gun. A first there's a first sergeant in the book that shows up that becomes rather Prominent character, and uh, he's uh, everybody compares him to mistakenly because because Army's a you know Marine, but uh, that's who everybody thinks of when they read a, read this guy. So they always picture Artley Army. I got you. So let's talk a little bit about
0: the scenario. The scenario in the book is there's some sort of an EMP event, but you never actually realize uh, what the actual causes or exactly what happened. You just know you don't know why. Uh, the power went down. You just know that the power went down. Why did you choose not to reveal the the
1: the how or the mechanism? Well, the, there's a couple reasons. The, the the first one is we can never know more in the story than the characters know. So we simply don't know. You know, in the beginning of the book, the main character Morgan's driving down the road and the emergency alert tone comes over the radio and everything goes away just that fast. The tone doesn't even finish. So we never know more than he knows. Um, things are alluded to to give people the impression that it could have been a terrorist-style event, or there's even the conspiracy tinfoil hat uh, theory running around inside the book that it was done domestically on purpose. Okay. Um, and I and I like to see some of the reviewers. It's, it's crazy some of the reviews that I get on Amazon um, where people think that I'm stating that this is a fact that's going to happen. <laughs> and <laughs> but you're not even
0: stating it was a fact in the story. No,
1: it's, it's a hypothesis fa- by well, the characters. It's it's a hypothesis, it's a theory people say it and people, you know, and, and reviewers will put on, you know, right what do they call it? Right-wing reactionary politics with the one that I just laughed so hard when I read, uh, or that they that I think the government would do this. You know, and to to people that that review books like that, all I have to say to them is, folks, it's fiction. It's a fictional story.
0: Well, and it's almost like, why did you start out with the, 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 if you have that bias to start out with, it would lead you there. Why are you reading books like this anyway?
1: Yeah. Don't read 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if this is fresh for you, you know? Or, or, or
0: the Illuminatus trilogy. If you really want to burn yeah. your brain for about a week and a half, pick up that, that thick, uh, thing and, and weed your way through the golden apple and, and, and all of that. And you, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's really interesting. On the scenario itself, how likely do you think it is that we would experience a, a complete grid-down uh, scenario due to an EMP-style event, whether it be from solar flares, whether it be from terrorist attack, anything?
1: Personally, I don't think it's very likely. Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. It's possible a meteor could hit us tomorrow. Um, I think that the higher probability of an incident occurring for this would be something from like a CME, from like a coronal mass ejection solar flare issue, is more likely, in my opinion, than an EMP strike. And I don't think it would result in a total global catastrophe on the level that a lot of this stuff makes it out to be.
0: To Um, be fair to you, though, with your scenario, is that NAMO could encompass a a circumference of 500 or 1,000 miles, which a 250-mile journey is sitting smack in the
1: middle of that circle. Oh, absolutely. You know, even if even if there was, let's say, just say that someone did manage to get an EMP over the over the earth and or over the US and detonate it, you know, depending on the region they put it in, you could be taking out a huge portion of the United States to to wipe out all of it from the research I've done. It's going to take several of them. Uh, well,
0: and I mean, look at it this way is to like, well, you know, if it's only three or four weeks that the power was down, that's seems like, well, we can recover the, the repercussions of that. And while you're the one screwed and away from home, it might as well be an eternity for you.
1: Oh, um, and, and when
0: we start looking at things that have happened, like that one guy that went out in the New Mexico desert, it was either New Mexico or Arizona, he changed a part at a power relay station. Thousands or almost a 1,000 miles away in Southern California, 600,000 yep. people's power goes out. They get it back on in like 48 hours. It takes them 72 hours to figure out why it went down. And then when they're like, okay, we know who did it now, and they start examining what the guy did, he didn't even do anything wrong. It was just, he did exactly what he was supposed to do, exactly the way he was supposed to do it, by procedure, it created some hiccup in the system that manifested itself a thousand miles away. And okay. put, so, if that, you know, changing a part can do that, what is losing a critical piece of infrastructure do, or
1: several of them? Yeah, you, you know, a cascading failure, uh, you know, you're in Texas, and like you guys say, you got your own grid down there. Well, the rest of the country is connected, and I used to work for the power company. Um, I built power plants all over the country for, for several years. Um, you know, if if a terrorist organization or a another nation state – such as China or North Korea or Iran was to do to our power grid, the same kind of thing we did to Iran's centrifuges with Stutniks, we could have a problem here. Yep. Um, You know, cascading failure because when you start losing capacity on the network, when, when power plants fail or substations go offline for whatever reason, because they're tripped out or, or whatever, the demand grows. So as, as you lose capacity, you're, you're increasing demand on everybody else. And that can create what's called a cascading failure, where one goes down, another one will go down just because it can't meet demand, and another That's one right. go down because the demand is even greater still. They're inversely proportioned with each other. Or you have
0: a problem in Buffalo, New York, and everybody in the middle is still on, but New York City's out and East Jersey. Exactly. And I stood right in the middle of that one. I watched everybody walk across the bridges and crap. I had cash, so I sat down and had a beer from one of the shops that was selling for cash. I watched everybody leave, and it was kind of amusing. But it was also like, okay, we know that there's power right over there, right over there, right over there. Most of the people that were downtown just wanted to go home. Everybody else went back to their hotels where they had backup generators. If that's, if that outage had lasted, you know, a week or more, I can tell you Manhattan would have been a different place.
1: Well, and that's, that kind of goes to the scenario in the book, and I, and I mention it, um, to think about if something like that happens and you're out of town, you're on vacation, you're at work, whatever. The town you're in is where you are, all right. That, that's a given. But how are those people that are there going to start to react to all the people who aren't from there as things progress? You know, in the beginning, you know, yeah, you're here. You know, we'll deal with it. But as as resources start to dry up and become scarce, they're going to start looking at anybody. And this addressed even like one second after, they're going to start looking at anybody who's not from there as as a problem. You know, you're just a sure. additional drain on resources um and then what are they going to start doing to people that want to come in you know so that's it's something to think about you know even just trying to get to where you want to go or are you going to be allowed to get through some of the areas you want to try to get home to
0: the, the fact that you used to build power plants because you said you don't think this is the most likely scenario that we're going to face is that part of why you decided to come at it from that angle because you have that background knowledge there? I mean, because like if you look at somebody like Michael Crichton that did Jurassic Park and uh, Prey and all of these other books that he did that involved uh, bioengineering and biotechnology, the guy had a tremendous amount of knowledge about that arena before he started writing these books. Or you look at Dan Brown, who had a real history and an interest in symbology, writing you know the books that he wrote. So is that kind of like, you know, if I'm going to have something shut everything down, let's come from the angle that I understand, rather than the angle that I think is the most likely to shut everything down?
1: Yeah, you know, I could have just as easily used a, used a terrorist attack or something to that effect. Um, I do understand how the power grids work. I understand intimately how, how the turbines work, gas turbines and whatnot at power plants. Um, and it doesn't take much. Um, I've, I've been at plants before when the same, when the same thing you were talking about, about the guy in the desert, um, working on the turbine floor up in North Carolina on a power plant when somebody did something and tripped a turbine and all of a sudden you got 10 guys all jumping back with their hands in the air, screaming, it wasn't me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't do it. Yeah. It wasn't me, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Cause when you're around those things, they have a very, very distinct sound to them and any change is is immediately detectable you don't need any equipment to tell you something happened you know immediately just by hearing it that something's wrong and and so that like i said it doesn't take much it could be a a solar flare will do it we saw that up in like you said in new york you know in canada it happened um and an emp it would certainly knock down generation would it destroy it um in the way that it's hypothesized i'm not sure it would uh, a lot would depend on a lot of factors for that do you
0: think there's large scale scenarios that are maybe more of a threat or more likely to occur? Pandemic, the economy, et cetera?
1: My biggest concern right now is, is the economic. Um, that's my number one concern. That and in, in our own political system, which is bent on suicide, it appears. Um, you know, with what's happening in, in Cyprus right now, that seems to be a, a test that's being floated to see if people are actually going to swallow it and what they do, you know. Um, like you said yesterday, you know, they're taking 40% of the money of the people over their, over their insurance levels. Um, and I agree that their bank's got in that trouble, but I don't see how the depositor should have to pay on the bad gambles of his banker, you know, and what are they going to do here, you know? People well, think- I think there's a the reality, like, that's what I say, is it? it
0: shouldn't, but yeah, yeah. the reality is the money's gone. Right. So the the money's gone. It's, it's, it's not like you can just say, well, give it back, because the whole reason the bank's collapsing is because we oh, yeah. ain't there anymore. And that's back to the whole, you can talk about what's right all you want. You can ask for a magic unicorn to come out of your ass when you fart and give you an angel to grant you wishes. And we all agree that that would be a wonderful place to live, but it ain't going to happen. And I think that the reality in Cyprus is, OK, the banking system failed, and that is an inherent risk of being a depositor at a bank. And just nobody accepts that anymore because the government said we'll fix it for you. We'll cover oh, okay. two
1: hundred fifty grand. All right, and you're right. That is the reality. And I agree. You're right. Their money. They can't give you what they don't have. All right, <laughs> it's not there. But the other side of that coin is, you, under our current situation, our current banking laws and, and regulations, you're forced into it. Absolutely. If, if you get a check for five, six, ten thousand dollars, and you walk into a bank and try to cash that check. You're very likely not going to get that money. Um, you're going to be told that you know we, they simply won't give you that much, or you have to make an appointment or something. You're forced into the banks. You know they limit how much money you can take out every day. They limit your withdrawals. You know, and some banks are now wanting seven days written notice to do withdrawals, cash yep. withdrawals. So it's it's like you're being treated like and I've and I've said this for years because I'm not a fan of banks. I belong to our credit union, which you know it's a little bit better, but not much. You know that once you give a bank money, your money, you deposit your money into that bank. It's no longer your money; it's their money, and they'll do with it as they please. Which means giving it to you when they feel like it. Um, and you know you can go ask for it. You know, but they're gonna they're gonna leverage it. They're gonna loan it. They're gonna invest it. They're gonna do all the things they can to make money. And when they lose, you know you're gonna lose. If if our banks were to close here for a week, I mean they're still closed in Cyprus, I think. I don't think they've opened yet. So they're- well,
0: yeah, because they because they know that if you have money in there, right, and, and you know this is going to happen, you're going to go take it out. And even now that they've told, you know, what they view as the peon, low quality depositor that has 20k in the bank, that they're not going to take their money. That that person's like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. So for the deal to go through, they have to lock the funding up until they they
1: disperse it. So imagine how how would we we would live. You know, right now, if, if our banks had been closed for two weeks, what would people do? You know, I mean, people, a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck, you know. You know, they, they rely on their debit card to work, to, to get their food, because most people in this country don't have, you know, three days' worth of groceries in their house if they have that. Here,
0: here's an interesting concept that people don't think of when they think, "Oh, it's just the rich people with more than 100,000 euros in the surplus bank. Okay. So what if you work for me, right, and, and you and a bunch of other people work for me, and I run my payroll through that bank? And yeah, I've got a, a an account there with four hundred thousand dollars in it on on a, a kind of a floating average annualized or you know monthly basis, but I run three hundred thousand dollars worth of payroll through that account every month. So that account goes to, to about four hundred down to about a hundred up back and forth. It, it comes as cash flow comes in the company and I pay my employees out of it every month. Its only real purpose It's a little bit of buffer for lean times, but primarily it's an account that I run payroll through. Now the bank collapses and it's only me, the rich, uh, company owner that you just took, you know, 40% of my 300k from, uh, which by the way would be what, $120,000, but now I have $120,000 of payroll that I can't make and I can't pay you. Exactly. And I don't think people think about that that component of it. And if that happened here and somebody's like, Well, I don't have two hundred and fifty grand, so as long as they didn't take that. Well, what about your employee? Where do you think your do you think your employer keeps, you know, especially a big company, a half a million dollars a week in payroll? They keep it in ammo boxes in the back of the <laughs> back of the company underneath a desk somewhere and they, you know, pull it out and deposit it for fifteen seconds when they cut that check? Or do you think it's sitting in our banking system in a float account in between payroll cycles?
1: Yeah, exactly. So they're they're going to dip into the little guy's pocket. They're going to dip into our pockets by taking it from the deeper pockets. In fact, I'd say the majority
0: of accounts in a regular bank that are over 250000 that's probably the exact kind of money that that is. Very few people with $250,000 or
1: more just have it sitting in a savings account in a bank. Yeah, or and it doesn't have to be payroll. It can be somebody's operating account that just say a manufacturer that, that manufactures whatever, and that's his—that's his capital for for purchasing equipment, material, parts, whatever to to finish whatever projects they're on, or even a builder. You know, and someone dips into their account and takes forty percent of it. What's that going to do to them? You're going to shut them down. Yeah. And now you may have lost your payroll funds. Well, you also lost your your operating funds. They're out of business.
0: You know, so let's bring these two worlds together. Then that you're coming from with your book and this 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 other serious threat that you and I are in agreement is probably more likely. What happens to the economy of the United States if we have an event that's even 40 percent, 30 percent of what you describe in your book?
1: I think it would cease to function entirely. (laughs) You know, I mean, we have we we have an electronic um, system in this country. Everything's done electronically. Cash is so rarely used. Um, Most people travel without cash. Um, I'm guilty of it myself a lot of the time. You know, and if something like that was to happen and, and shut down the markets, shut down the ability to trans, you know, to to uh, do a credit card transaction or a debit card transaction, are screwed.
0: Yeah, and your American Express travelers check,
1: Express travelers check, ain't going to be accepted either. No. your personal check's not going to be accepted. They can't verify funds. It's going to yeah. be cash money. You know, um, and I have a feeling that in the scenario we're talking about, pretty quick cash wouldn't even be accepted. Um you know, people would look at it as um, you know, I'm not gonna trade this physical commodity for that paper that's backed by the bank over there that's that we're not sure about now.
0: I'd even say that gold and silver in the immediate I'd say there'd be this little point where they'd be accepted and this point is as whatever's left starts to put it back together that they would become a currency. But then that delta between the two I think even gold and silver. I can't eat gold. And I can't eat silver unless I am fully equipped with plenty of food. And you want beans? Then maybe I'll take some. I'll give you some beans for some silver. But if I'm worried about what I'm going to eat tomorrow, the only way I'm trying to eat beans is if you're giving me meat or something like that.
1: Yeah, I, I think in the in the very very beginning, the initial stages of, of, of a financial collapse or calamity, whatever you want to call it, gold would be accepted, in my opinion, very quickly. Yeah, because everybody's going to see it as that safe, that, that that safe form of currency. So, you know, if you're someplace and look, you know, this guy's got a truck that runs and it's got a full tank of gas and I can make it home on that. I've got five thousand dollars cash in my hand. He won't take that. Hey, I got a gold Kruger Will you trade me? And that guy's eyes are going to light him. and go, yeah, I'll take it because that's a gold Kruger. I know what that's worth. Yeah. Cash isn't worth anything. But that is. Well, two weeks later, when that guy's walking around with that Kruger ran in his pocket, and he's starving to death. He'll trade it for a can of beans. Sure. You
0: know, till like and the, the only one that will give him a can of beans for it is the person that's going, i got so many cans of beans. Uh, I, I can wait it out till the value
1: returns to that commodity. Because then down the road, the value will return to the PMs. I mean, the value will always be there, but it's not going to be a recognized value. Acceptable itself. value, yeah. I mean,
0: Fernando from Argentina has said flat out, he saw days when nobody wanted anything but gold. Yep. And a week later, people wanted money. People wanted pay Argentinian pesos. And it, it fluctuated based on whatever the hell was going on at the time.
1: It's supply and demand. <laughs> you, know, yeah. I, you know, one day it can be bullets. One day it, it may be dollars. Or, or you might even see people on the street going, hey, I've got euros. Will you take those? You know, I mean, it, it could happen. It just depends on where the perceived value is at the time. You know, it, it, it might be gasoline. Who knows what people will be willing to trade in. And that will just be the, the, the trade you got to try to make at the time based on what you have. And the perceived value that it carries.
0: Let's talk a little bit about because you mentioned it kind of off the cuff. Some other gear that this guy has in this bag that he uses as part of his quest to get home.
1: Well, he's got a he's got like a basic rifleman's pack, um, and he's got some MREs in there and a sleeping bag. Um, one piece of gear that that I really like, and that's why I put it in there, is, is the Goal Zero uh, Nomad charger and power supply. Um, you've got rechargeable batteries and you've got that little thing with you, you can keep your flashlights running and night vision equipment, whatever you've got. Um, and, And, and like your expert counsel is always talking about having power in any form in that situation is a wonderful thing. You know, if you don't have a flashlight and some batteries to run it and everything goes dead, you're back to the 1800s and living by candlelight. If you can come up with one of those. So having a way to recharge batteries and and keep whatever electronic you may have alive is a wonderful thing. Um, Some of the one of the other interesting things that a lot of people commented on was a little little grill. It's a little backpacker's grill called a grillaput. A little folding grill that kind of collapses into itself. What's it called? A grillaput. It's a really cool little deal. that I stuck in there more is on a, on a whim kind of a thing. Cause I actually have one and I, and I use it to, to cook fish on mainly when I'm kayak fishing or kayak camping. And, uh, so I stuck it in there, but a lot of people got a kick out of that thing. And, but then you get the ultralight guys who say, why would you carry that? I would never carry that. Um, yeah, which, which brings me to a point of I'm not one of those ultralight guys. Yeah. I believe in if I can carry it, <laughs> you know, and it's going to help me out, I'll carry it cause it's easier to throw it away later if I can't.
0: I'm just some of the stuff you're mentioning. Just for people's interest, I'm going to put in the links sure. in the show notes. So, is the thing you're talking about? It has like it looks like almost two little pipes on each side, some grills going across yeah. it, and st- that's it. Okay, I've got the right thing. That's kind of an interesting little grill. I mean, basically, you, it's not a stove; it's a it's a grill that you put over a fire.
1: Yeah, it's a grill, you know. And with it, you know, you can. Point box. It's not expensive. Yeah, you can put your pot on it if you want to, or you can grill meat on it. You know, like I said, I grill fish on mine uh, when I'm kayak camping and stuff. Um, it's just a nice little piece Um, and of course a water filter you know he you know in the book it's a sweet water filter which is what I carry and uh, I'm partial to that one because the the um, filter elements are encased and they're not like some of the MSR ones that are just a bare ceramic element that you drop in because those have a tendency to break especially if they're in a pack that you're living out of for weeks at a time and you're banging around you can break those things so that's why I like the sweet water
0: so you mentioned kayak ca- camping, so you do stuff like that, which you get pretty remote pretty quick with that. I mean, even okay. if you can still hear society, you you get to places that are not heavily traveled. So a lot of this gear that you mentioned, not only you carry, you've actually tested?
1: Everything. Um, everything that I We're have. I'm
0: losing you there. Did you take a
1: back step or something from the mic? Well, yeah, I'm tripping over my cord. Hang on. <laughs> okay, no problem. <laughs> everything everything listed there, I, I – um either own or have used uh and yeah i spend a lot of time outside um kayaking is a big thing that we like to do um hunting hiking camping fishing so i spend a lot of time outside and i try a lot of gear you know i even say in the book i'm a gear junkie um i love to go buy new pieces of gear and try them out you know uh from from saws to collapsible bow saws to knives you know my wife finally gave up asking me how many more knives and Guns that I need. uh, When I kept always answering her with one more. (laughs) 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 I told her I I don't want all of them. I just want the next one. Let's go to the
0: next one. And then how many you're gonna want after that? One more. I'm only buying one at a time, man. Give me a break.
1: Exactly. I just need I need one more. You know. (laughs) So. And and you know those kind of experiences kind of lead. You can use those for the for for when when I'm writing because. I've actually done the things that I talk about. It's not like I'm just sitting there completely making it up. I go out and spend the time. You know, I live up right now in North Carolina, and I've got 100 acres. So I can get out in the woods and, and do the things um, that I talk about.
0: That's cool. Is there any equipment that you've tried, bought, and then been like, man, I wish I wouldn't have bought that? I mean, what sticks out for me is... Uh, and I just don't do a lot of negative reviews. It takes a lot of work to do a review on YouTube and video. And I figure if it's crap, I just won't give it any recognition at all. But I did a video on the Cato Voyager multiband radio. And you can just see in the video by the time I get to the end of it, I'm just disgusted with the damn thing. And I'm like, if you want to buy this thing, go ahead. But I, I wouldn't buy it. Is there anything like that you can think of that you were like, man, this was crap. And you know, in retrospect, maybe I shouldn't have bought this thing or, or what have you.
1: Uh, honestly, I, I really can't think of anything that just screams at me. I hated this when I, you know, when I got done with it. I I'm a I do a lot of research, you know, I put a lot of thought into stuff. I don't run out and just buy anything. Um so, I, you know, I spend some time really looking into the stuff I get and generally I'm I'm pretty darn happy um with the ones I get. Um I'm trying to find the model of a radio to give you an idea. Uh have you ever are you familiar with countycom.com? Have you guys ever used them? No. Oh, you need to go to countycom.com. <laughs> Countycom? County, yes. C-O-U-N-T-Y-C-O-M-M.com. That is a gear haven right there. Um, they have a great little radio called a CPL-4. I think it is. There it is, yeah. Um, a CPL, GPL-4. GP-4L is the radio. And it's a small AM-FM shortwave radio, and I own one. Um that I carry, it's in my bag. I keep it with me, um, but it uses AA A batteries. This takes us back to having a solar charger that'll recharge double A batteries in four hours. You know, so it's a hand- my
0: favorite batteries in the world are double A's, and people are going to think I'm evil when I tell you why. But if I ever get into a bad enough situation where I need double A batteries, anybody with a solar yard light has double A batteries. Yeah. So if if I have to steal AA batteries, if I end up in a bad enough situation, at least I can. And I know people are like, "Oh, you should." Hey, man, at least I'm not taking food out of a kid's mouth. And I think that you'd have a whole lot of people that have abandoned ships, so to speak. Anyway.
1: Yeah, you you raid a decent hotel and steal their landscape lights, like you just said. They're solar lights, and every one of them's got a rechargeable AA battery inside of them. You know, it may not be a real high capacity one. But it's a rechargeable. Well,
0: it'll work. And that's why I don't like some of the new TAC lights, the little small micro ones with, like, the little lithium ion, like, 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 like a double A cut in half and all. Yeah. They're great. But getting one of those batteries at a time when you really need – so, like, I, I think the light's cool. You want that on your keychain five. You better have a redundancy that uses something more uh, able to be found.
1: Yeah, that better be your third or fourth level of lighting. Not <laughs> your primary source. You know, that's just like the lights with coin batteries. You know, I've got one on a zipper pull. They're nice to have for the moment, but good grief, try to find those things. You know, if it comes to it.
0: And people say, well, then stock some of your own, and that's fine at your house. But in you, you a bag, you do have finite things. Is there, you know, what what are some of the things like you ran into where you got to make a decision and you say this is this is all I can carry?
1: Um. Well, shelter is one of the biggest ones I think of, you know, because shelter is bulky. So you either got to go the route of minimal shelter or heavy shelter. <laughs> and I'm a minimal shelter guy. I go, my primary shelter system for most seasons, uh, not necessarily winter in North Carolina, depending on the time of year, but for most seasons is a uh, tarp and a hammock. So, and, you know, kayak camping, that's where that came from, back to the kayaks. I can throw my hammock, my tarp, my bug net in the dry compartment of my kayak and go anywhere pretty much and and set up a shelter. And it gives you options. You can set it up as a ground shelter. You can set it up as a hammock to sleep in it. Um, As opposed to carrying any form of backpacking tent, it's going to be lighter, you know, and and there are going to be trades because, you know us preppers are going to be different in a backpacker and that we're carrying some stuff that they're not going to be carrying you know you know story yeah. you know firearms and ammo for one you know um I've always got at least one weapon with me all the time whenever I travel
0: you know? I think that's completely sensible, and that's something most, I'm not going to say all, because I know some that do, but most ultralight backpackers don't. I mean, you got a lot of people from the granola factory in, in that society, and I'm, I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying that they have a totally different um, set of needs when it comes to what they're doing than a lot of times a prepper would. And, I mean, let's face it. I mean, I'm not going into the wilderness without a gun. But if you're hiking the Appalachian Trail, the odds that you're going to need a gun aren't, you know, probably no more than if you're, you're, you're walking between your car and your office building. That's why I have one, because the possibility's there, but it's not really, really likely. You have a grid down scenario and you're 250 miles from home. It's almost inevitable that at some point you're going to need that if nothing else is a show of force to get through a situation.
1: Oh, absolutely you know, and it's like you said, you won't need it, but that's where the prepper thing comes in. I'm going yeah. need it, but I'm going to have it anyway, you know. I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it, you know. Um, so so we, we're going to carry some stuff, and, You know, and it goes even into tools, you know. Some of these ultralight guys, you know, a, a Swiss Army knife is, is, is good for them. That'll do everything they need to do, you know. Um, me, I carry a few different blades. I like a blade for each purpose. Not every purpose, but fairly close you know in the book i talk about esee knives um i'm kind of a fan of theirs i've got several of their blades and i carry one of theirs on me every day and i've got two more in my car you know just because you know you never know which way you might want to go you might want a four inch knife you might want a five inch knife so <laughs> <laughs> yeah So
0: I can't. well yeah and i mean there's times where that's actually a concern i had a neighbor ask me um, I was out working in the garden and I almost always have a knife on me and usually a bigger, more substantial knife when I'm doing any kind of work on the property. And I have the scaled down K-bar knife. And he is a, uh, prior service, uh, Navy corpsman that was attached to Marine Recon for three tours of Vietnam. So the K-bar was like, you know, like, like he's like locked onto it the second he sees it. He's like, that's that's smaller than a regular one. Let me see it. And he'd never seen the scaled down version. I handed it to him and he's like, Why do you have this? Why don't you have the regular one? And I'm like, Because it's it's short enough that if I forget I'm wearing it and go down to Walmart, it might upset some people, but it's not illegal. But in my state, a blade over five and a half inches, not in the pursuit of fish or game or you know out in camping or whatever, is considered illegal to carry. Even if you have a carry permit. Right? Really? It's illegal that you can carry a gun. But don't be walking around with a six inch bladed knife.
1: That's what I live So
0: that's kind of like a redundancy for me because I know that I want that bigger knife on. I don't want to use a folding knife for some of the crap, stick it in the ground and crap like that. But if I, cause I'm not always going to think about it when I say, you know what, I need to run down to the, the store and get some jute twine. Yeah. And all of a sudden I've committed a, a freaking, you know, level C felony or some crap. Uh, And I I don't agree with the law, but I have to deal with the fact of the reality behind it.
1: Right. Yeah. We don't make them, but rules are rules, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We can work on changing them, but
1: until we do, I mean, uh,
0: I'd rather fight that uh, in the in the state house than the state courthouse. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, that's a much better place to carry on that argument. <laughs> I think that there's
0: a also a big cons- component of redundancy with weapons because we can say all we want for my cold dead hands and all, but there are certain scenarios where I think weapons would be confiscated, and I think you're going to have a choice, give it up or give it up anyway the hard way. Yeah, and the- it, it makes sense to have other weaponry or other defense mechanisms that may not be taken from us.
1: Yeah, you know, like I said, I travel a lot. I've got a I've got a bag that I, I keep in the front seat of my car most of the time. And there, there's a handgun in there. There's there's spare magazines. There's uh, blades in there, and lots of other stuff. Just kind of my, you know, I guess everybody call it you know, like an everyday bag or something, or everyday carry bag or something to that effect. And there's an ASP in there, you know, um, just because you never know what level of of uh, force may be necessary for something. So and then there's even an asp in my bag in my pack. You know, I carry an asp in there as well. You know, lethal force isn't the answer to every situation. So I like to have a little bit of, of of options. And in the story, you know, I don't quite get into all that. There's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot of lethal force usages, um, but there's a lot of scenarios where people try things that are kind of like less than lethal that can escalate pretty quick. Um, you know, one of the scenes, I sent you a thing there about uh, these, these fellows who are at a campground, they're, they're ordinary guys, you know, they're wearing their, their penny loafers and their their um, dockers, and they see this guy with a truck, and they want to make him stop so they can try to steal his truck, so they push a, a tricycle with a big doll on it out in front of the truck. <laughs> so well, this guy, he's driving down the road at 50 miles an hour, and all he yeah. sees is this tricycle, and this thing come out, and he hits it, you know, he slams on the brakes. And these guys think they're going to run out with golf clubs on a baseball bat and get his truck. And, and they find out that it's a different world already. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Things are not what they were when they woke up. You know? Backing up just a second
0: on the asp, are you talking about the little uh, pepper spray deal?
1: No, I mean an actual extendable baton asp. A what? For applying knots to, to to the head.
0: So. Oh, oh, oh okay, a baton.
1: Yeah, extendable ass pecan, Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, because they also make a, a little bitty pepper spray thing that's kind of cool. Now I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Back in the old days, they called it the hickory shampoo. You know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shampoo. I've even seen some. I, I, I'm tempted to order one and see how they come out. It's called a slap cap, and it's basically a black hat. It looks kind of like a black tactical cap. Um, that's that's full of uh, basically uh, birdshot. Oh um, yes, yeah, sewn okay. into it, so you can yeah. grab it by. the... It's real tough. You can grab it by the bill, and it's basically a blackjack, but it looks
1: like a cap. I like a blackjack. Those are, you know, uh, <laughs> I got a lesson to those one year, one, one one time, a long time ago, when uh, I worked in a gun shop, and and uh, and somebody had one, and I'm like, what are you going to do with that thing? You know, what's it going to do to somebody? He showed up with me.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would.
0: And then be basically, <laughs> again, this is something that would would totally not stand out because it it. It looks like a black plain Jane hat. Maybe I need to put TSP logos on some of those.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say. I was just gonna say, man, I need to go to gear shop. I you actually, I'm writing that down so I can look it up now.
0: <laughs> I'm, not, I'm gonna have to check into where they're considered legal and illegal, though, because I'm sure places like New York City maybe have uh, outlawed things like that. But it certainly is not noticeable. I mean, they don't look like um anything unique whatever. If you if you go to uh Amazon and look up SAP Cap Extreme, S A P C A P Extreme in three words, you'll yeah. find the product and it's uh it's 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 pretty cool. <laughs> huh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look
1: into that one. <laughs> that be That's actually
0: something I probably should have brought up to this audience a long time ago. Yeah, I was it. There,
1: I've been listening to you for a long time, Jack. I haven't yeah. heard of it. Yeah.
0: So kind of we wrap up here, what are some things you hope people take away from your book?
1: Uh, Well, number one, it's entertainment. Um, The the book was wrote for entertainment, you know, and I want people to read the story and enjoy it. Um, This is the first book in a series. Um, There's more coming. The sequel will be out here very soon. Um, And some just some of the the practices that are in there for, for people to think about. Their own personal security, their own personal taking care of themselves, um, number one, if you're out on the road, if you're away from home. And then the the do unto others as you'd have others do unto you sort of philosophy when, when someone's stuck out there. Um, there's going to be times you're, you're going to be able to help, and you can help somebody out, and that's great. There's going to be times you're going to want to help somebody, and you're simply not going to be able to help them. And then there's going to be those times, as are scenes in the book, when helping somebody can be the absolute worst mistake that you'll make. Um, And it's kind of a, it's just a thinking exercise. Uh, Like I said, if, if we don't spend some time considering these options, when you're put into the position to have to do something, you're going to take too much time thinking about it to act. And, and sometimes action is the only answer right or wrong. You you know, you're going to, like they say, you're going to have to get off the X. So we need to, we need to, keep it in our minds, you know, as preppers, as survivalists, whatever folks want to call themselves, you know, um, we need to always be thinking about that. You know, I've heard people talk about, I think even you said, you know, when you go in a restaurant, you sit where you can see the exits, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. My wife is finally getting through her head. Don't take the seat on the side of the table where I have the greatest viewpoint. And I think even sometimes like the, the, the the host thinks I'm being rude because she'll go to sit down and I'm just like, no, and, and and the point is it's it's that you're not gonna you're not gonna watch it the way that I am and you know you're not so get out of that spot let me take that role because I'm willing to do it and I'm not just thinking about my safety and her safety I'm thinking about the safety of every single person in that restaurant exactly. and I have good friends that come from the same that I know that and if we happen to go somewhere together then we're both like okay you take that one I'll take this one and people think that's paranoid it's not paranoid it's common sense and how many lives could have been saved if more people did that by now.
1: Well, it, it's simple awareness. It's it's just simple awareness, you know, and I'm the same way. I don't sit with my back to a door and I look for the exits when I come in. It's the first thing I do. Uh, and the
0: other thing I always do is say, now, if somebody did come in, where would they be most likely to? If they came there, how would I get out of here? If they came there, how would I get out of here? How would I move my wife out of here? How would I move other people out of here? That's basic common sense. And that just start takes you, if you take that approach to prepping with all things, you just kind of always end up in the same place of common sense preparedness. Exactly.
1: There's too much of anything, you know, isn't necessarily a good thing, Um, prepping or whatever. But like you said, that common sense approach of a little bit all the time, you know, just just staying turned on, you're going to end up in the same spot all the time. And it's just a little bit farther ahead than anybody else in most cases. And, And that's where you want to be. Gotcha. So, again, the book is called
0: Going Home. And where can people learn more about it and purchase it?
1: Well, it's on Amazon, it's uh, available out there for – it's on Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble for the Nook, um, Sony, Apple e-readers, all those. Um, you can also go to the publisher's site, Ex Libris, so you can get it from them directly. Um, I have it on my site. Um, I'm, I have signed copies available on my site that I sell. And I just have a new site, too. You mentioned it earlier, but I've got a new one now that's um, – And you might want to post it for your, for for everybody because it's spelled a little different. It's Angry American, but it's spelled A N G E R Y American dot net. Um, that's the new site that's actually got a store on it, um, for folks if they want signed copies of the book, which I'm running out of, but I'll probably order more here pretty soon.
0: Well, I'll make sure that I do put all of that in the, uh, in the show notes and, uh, Hey, Chris, man, I appreciate you being here with us today on the Survival Podcast. It's been great, Jack. Like I said, I love your
1: show and uh, look forward to them every day and, and keep up the good work,
0: man. Oh, hey, I just noticed here on the note, did you want to maybe do a, a book giveaway?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, actually, yeah. Um I'll get with you off the air. I have, um, I have some free e-copies that I'm going to let you give away your listeners.
0: How, how many are you going to do? Because I'll come up with how we're going to give them out right now. If you can just give me a number. Let me
1: see how many we got here. Let me count these guys up real fast. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13,
0: 14, 15, 16, 16 17. 18. How about 19 copies? 19 copies. All right. So here's what I'm going to do, folks. Um, if you go to Chris's website, which again is angryamerican.com, but angry is spelled A N G E R Y. dot net. dot net. Yes, that's new. Okay. Let's saying. let's get this right then. Let me get on that on that site because apparently you had the other one for a while. This one's better. Now I see why. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no. So if you go to angryamerican.net, which I will have in the show notes, and it's A N G E R Y American. dot net. And you get to his website. Let's move this out of the way. And you click on the contact page. Let's see what happens there. There is a,
1: let's see, uh, what am I going to use to make people find here?
0: You will see uh, an address, and you will see, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, you'll see a city in North Carolina that's part of the contact address. Put that in the subject line and email it to me, jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com, and I will choose 19 people at random over the next uh, 48 hours who have sent the right code word in, and I will forward those on to Chris, and he will take care of getting your books to you. Again, the format for that, send it to jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com. Put one word and one word only in the subject line or you will be disqualified. Do not put code word is. Just put this... Name of this town in North Carolina in the subject line. Include your name and email address in the body of the email. That is all. Do not play more than once, so you'll also be disqualified. You can send in one entry per user, and I'll send them all on to Chris. And thanks for doing that. I didn't know you were going to do that, honey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, this, is, this will allow them to download the, uh, ebook in any format for whatever they need. So it's, uh, Cool. It's for everybody from Apple to Nook to, uh, Kindle, or
0: whatever you got. Okay, great. Well, that's very cool. I appreciate you doing that, and I appreciate well, you being with us today. Thanks a lot, Jack. Reverend and, folks, with that, this has been uh, Chris the Angry American, along with Jack Spirico, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. It's in our food these days. You know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what
1: we eat.